Yes. And, and on the flip side, I've actually had some instances where, you know, I'm like getting ready or doing something. And suddenly I had like this very loving and kind thought come up towards myself. And I was like, <laughs> who is this person? Like, it's just like, so that's juxtaposition of the perfectionism is actually starting to acknowledge and to love and respect certain aspects of myself and, and to be good with that. Like I'm on a journey towards loving myself and just to own that and feel good about it is really huge. Is this thing working? You're listening to Rabbi Ariel Schollklapper, the wisdom and tools you need to thrive. Hey, this is Rav Ariel here with Rachel Carew. Rachel's a student who took the plunge and decided to work with me one-on-one. In this episode, we'll share with you how her practice unfolded and a bit of what's possible if you take the leap and work with me one-on-one. Enjoy. I'm Rachel Carew, and I am passionate about inspiring reflection and results through coaching, speaking, and facilitation. And I am the proud CEO of the company called Stepping Into More, which that name is based upon my autobiographical self-help book around my journey with perfectionism and how I stopped singing for over 20 years because of my perfectionism until a accident changed everything. Um, So that's a little bit about me and I'm in Los Angeles. Yeah, and that's how we met, right? We met in Los Angeles at a retreat that I hosted and then we started working together and I remember when we sat for or sat you know kind of did we did been zoom from the beginning and this is pre-pandemic everyone so like, you should know that this is how we started the arrangement from the beginning and uh and the results are still there so <laughs> that's the that's the big piece of it is the results are still there and I know you meditated a long time I think you remember can you remind me what you were meditating a long time before we met can you tell a little bit about that? Yeah. So first of all, um, I am a recovering perfectionist and tried for many, many, many years to meditate uh, without success and just thought, oh, I can't, I can't do this. Uh, and that shifted probably about, gosh, I want to say about five years ago. Um, when I finally was able to start cultivating a practice, which primarily was more guided meditations um, using different apps. And when you and I met and I went through that retreat, I was um, just really excited, first of all, about a sort of Jewish component um, to the to the practice as well as I'm a singer. So we had some chanting in there, uh, which also really piqued my curiosity. Um, so I was inspired after that retreat to, to reach out and see what you had to offer. I remember that, uh, and it's voice is definitely a very strong component of how you connect. So chanting was part of the practices that we used as cultivation and, I, and I started, started, I remember I started guiding you through 
because I think I skipped some of the focus steps. Maybe we did it very, uh, like just quickly, just teaching basic, basic focus for yourself. I remember you were working with, were you working on an app primarily and guided or mostly when you were sitting? I don't remember where you, you were listening to something yes, and letting it guide you. Yeah. So I started with Headspace and did that for quite a while. And then I had met another meditation teacher and was using his guided meditations via Insight Timer, the Insight Timer app. Great. And then when we started working together, you started practicing in the way that I had taught in terms of like, we taught, we worked on a practice together and then you would go and do that practice with your timer without hearing me do it say it again right i gave you recordings i think right but then it, i think the instruction was yeah i remember sending it to you in the whatsapp but i think the point was listen learn the practice listen to it if, even if it's a few times and then do it without me in your in your head right like do it without me literally playing over your headphones um and what the reason that i i've always told people that i do that is because when you're and and we discussed this when somebody is giving you what to think about it leaves no space for your own insight to arise for your own process to start to come up for your own inner dialogue to start to arise within the space of the practice mm -hmm. um so what was that transition like do you how do you know now you've been practicing it's a more it's a plus more than a year that you've been practicing in this new way. And uh, are, are, do you go back to the guided stuff or how does that work in now day to day? Yeah, so first of all, that transition um, was definitely interesting because I think I, like many people, had a misconception that meditation means I shouldn't think. Uh, and through this practice, it really sort of freed me up to be more in tune with and aware of thoughts. And actually, um, because of the practice, I had all of a sudden some very deep intuitive hits and awarenesses around um, different old beliefs or irrational beliefs or old stories that weren't serving me that I don't think would have surfaced in sort of a traditional guided type of meditation. And part of, I think, what really helped too is in the beginning, uh, we went through a very methodical practice of looking at my myself at different times in my life and being very intentional around that, which really helped me get clearer about different issues at different life phases. Um, so it, it was a transition at first, because again, I wanted to get it right and make it perfect at first. So I had to <laughs> let go of some of that and also be okay with like, all right, this is a journey I'm learning and, and it's okay for me to guide myself. I don't need to have someone else guiding me in this process. And to answer your second question, um, every once in a while, uh, you know, if I'm like short on time or I'm just trying to mix things up a little bit, I might use a guided meditation, but I would say like 95% of the time I'm using the practice that we cultivated together. So tell me more, like what's the, you're, you've said, uh, you've said that it, this is not, you're not the first person who's told me 
that the the transition is hard by the way i don't know if we're honoring quite how hard the transition was from uh like a headspace or whatever app or insight timer whatever app you're using to fill your attention or even tm by the way i've heard some a lot of people from tm and similarly have this kind of the mind is full and so it's focused but it's not doing the you're not allowing the insight to there's no space for the insight to move and for no space for you to encounter what your dialogue is right um so th there's a hard transition and then what i've found is that within a day or two or three or whatever it is of people doing the the practice that i'm suggesting they they almost never turn back it's almost like you why would i do that if i know that i can get finally after all these years of practice and dedication i'm starting to get all these hits of um insight of moments of clarity of uh, awareness of certain of things that are coming up either in my thought or in my feeling or whatever that are that give me some wisdom into how to move forward right yes and just to piggyback on that too the another aspect is physically uh connecting to my body, which is an ongoing process. I think for many of us, we're not as in tune with what's happening physically. And of course, that's the only part of our body that or, or our being, I should say, that is present. So to keep bringing that back into the practice um, is super impactful. And the singing component, which also has a physical element into it, um, has also been um, very impactful as well. Yeah, talk about the singing for you and what that, what's that like and how is this different, the work that we've done, how is that sort of a shift from what you'd done before? Sure. So actually, um, years ago in some of my attempts to meditate, I used to take some classes with uh, a wonderful woman uh, at the YMCA, actually, of all places, um, and she would incorporate mostly chanting into her meditation, uh, but it was all Sanskrit. So oh. I, I enjoyed it and I, but I couldn't quite relate to it. And similarly, I had done um, quite a few guided meditations with Deepak Chopra. Again, it's like, I loved what he had to say, but then when I went into the chanting piece or repeating you know, the, the words, it didn't have much meaning for me. So, when we started to, when I went to the retreat, we did a little bit of chanting. And then as I continued exploring, I got more and more interested in this idea of chanting. And it, it's very impactful for me because it brought up actually a, a pretty vivid memory I had forgotten about, which was probably when I was about nine years old, I was living in Oklahoma. And I had forgotten that there was the cantor, they called him Reverend for whatever reason, Reverend Peru. And I just remember asking my parents if they would drive me to synagogue so that I could um, sing. And, and I just, I was always felt a connection with that. Um, but over the years had sort of disconnected from that love of the Judea chanting and praying and didn't really realize that that prayer could be incorporated into my practice. So um, just having that awareness, like, 
oh, like this is so core to who I am and my voice is an instrument and even physically the vibration of the sound as I'm making sound is very calming to me. It's like a um, massage, yeah. right? From the inside. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And Your voice breathing... is creating vibration, right? So you can't do that without creating vibration in the whole system, right? Well put, yes. So so that's been um, really beautiful to incorporate that element into the practice as well. I love that. And I'm, I'm curious, like, okay, so we've talked about some of the the way that you started, we've talked a little bit about some of the practices that we incorporated, we sort of hinted at them and talked about. And so tell me, I remember that you gave me some feedback after our first few sessions and, and the feedback was something, it was good, it was good feedback, but it was also something like, it's a little confusing, you know, what are we doing here? You know, how are, can we get some structure around the sessions? And, you know, so talk to me about that element and, and how you see that maybe in hindsight, having been part of the process. Yeah, I, I mean, I think part of that too, you know, I have sort of a, a bias because I design and facilitate workshops uh, and I coach. So part of it is a personal preference in, in terms of, I, I think for many adult learners, we, we like to know like, where we're going and and it's sort of that old expression tell people where you're working we're, we're going to go then we go there then we tell them where we went and <laughs> for adults you know we need to hear things sometimes like five to seven times before it really lands for us so i think that was part of what drove that feedback and i would say too reflecting on that that part of it is also my desire to control. So I think, you know, part of the sort of challenge in not knowing exactly why we're doing what we're doing is, is that wanting to control the process as opposed to just sort of surrendering and, and trusting um, to see where the journey takes me. So I think it was a little bit of both. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely it was definitely both. I mean, I you know, and I think that what was in, what was important that I now do with everybody like up up front is I say it's going to be confusing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's going to feel like it's going to feel like where that what is this guy doing? Is he totally random? And the answer is no. <laughs> I have a very clear picture of like kind of like where I'm trying to take you, but I also don't know what's going to come up for you in our time. And so and I think that one of the gifts of, of the relationship that we've been able to build through our time is that I've learned who you are. I've learned about your journey. I've learned about the inner dialogue and stories. And so through knowing that, and I'm able to then give you suggestions of practices or places to look in your practice, not just on the cushion, but off of the cushion, which we've I emphasized right off the bat, right from the beginning, like talk about off the cushion and what that has, uh, if you can remember some of the pieces of what's fruited for you, because people get confused about what the point of the practice is. They think I've got to clear my mind for 20 minutes or whatever it is. And that's the most important thing. And I always say, no, <laughs> I don't care how good you are at that. I care if those however many minutes you spend end up translating into results when you're not meditating, 
So do you want to talk about the off the cushion time? Sure. So the immediate thought that comes to mind is one of the qualities that we incorporated into our practice or my practice is around cultivating love. And I recall, um, I was, I think I was brushing my teeth or washing my face. I, I don't know what it was. And I just had this thought that came through my head really strongly, like love is fleeting. And, and then also actually during practice, once when I was trying to visualize love, I visualized hugging my daughter and then like feeling like she's running, like she's moving away. And so like that insight was hugely powerful because if my subconscious is believing that love is fleeting, then what kind of impact is that having in my life and how I'm showing up to different relationships as opposed to really learning to look at love as being abundant versus a scarcity? Yeah. And I remember that. I do remember that instant when it came up for you. And I remember, I think you WhatsApp me like, you won't believe I was meditating and this came up for me. And I was so grateful that you shared because then we used it as a uh, this is an example of how when you bring the practice back into the container of the of the work that we do, then uh, we were able to sort of lean further into that. And do you remember other things that have come out of that particular line? Because uh, I remember some. Uh, maybe I'll jog your memory, but you go ahead, share what you remember. <laughs> well, I remember. I remember we started paying attention to like not just the story. We took that story that you remembered. That was early, early on in the practice. I remember. And we started to then help you uh, learn the tools for taking that back into your body space mm. and then and making the connection internally with what that feels like. Um, and, you know, it's it sounds it's simple, but but it's really powerful because what it ended up showing you, I remember we I would always continually emphasize like, OK, let's do this practice, but then let's see how it shows up back in your life and i remember uh you reported one time and uh, you'll correct me if this is wrong but i remember you said you were about to get into the same old fight with your husband mm. like like we all have that okay if you've been married or coupled long enough you have the same old fights um and you i remember you said that you were in connection with the feeling that that is the same is connected to that thought of like love is fleeting or there's not enough love or whatever it is, it's going to run out kind of a thing. Um, and I remember you said you tended to yourself and mm. it short-circuited the fight that was kind of inevitably going to happen if you had had to predict it, right? If you had to predict it, it would have come up again, but it didn't quite because you were able to then to notice, oh, this is me. Th this is a me thing. Uh, this is my pain here showing up in this context. I don't remember. I thought that was so powerful. I don't know if you remember that or instances like that. Thank you for reminding me. Um, yeah. And, and just two things that are coming forward as you're sharing. One, going back to what I shared earlier around the physical. And, and that is an ongoing journey to really cultivate and get aware of what is happening physically, not only when I'm practicing, but like you said, so then I can start looking for cues if perhaps I'm about to get triggered. 
um, or if I'm wanting to cultivate a, a, a quality. Um, and, and actually one of the qualities we've been focusing on is compassion. And the minute I think about being compassionate to someone I care about immediately, I'll get tears in my eyes. I, I like feel like a longing to reach out. No problem, right? <laughs> yeah, and then starting to translate that and transition it to me. How can I have compassion for myself? How can I feel that internally? So that's one aspect of what you shared. The second with my husband example. Um, yeah, so I will say that overall, another benefit of the practice is better self-management. So that idea again of sort of being able to catch the trigger, the emotional trigger and not getting sucked down the rabbit hole but instead realizing, whoa, okay, I'm at a choice point right now because if I continue down this route, like you said, it's gonna be an argument. And sometimes the best thing to do in those moments is take a pause and just say, look, I, I need a little space here. I'm feeling triggered. Um, can we get back together on this? And once in that example that you brought up, I was able to do that. Then I was able to have that awareness about, oh, okay, there's, sort of an old deep wound that to my amygdala felt like it was happening now, but really yeah. wasn't. It was my story and being able to own that and share that with my husband really was able then to diffuse what would have been an argument. And it sounds like it's an, I mean, it's a, an opening then for not just your own, you know, relationship with yourself, but then it comes out in the benefit. I bet your husband's happy you didn't have that fight, right? Like, I mean, nobody nobody is happier when there's a fight, right? I think I heard this one time uh, recently, actually, and the guy said, look, if I knew where your angry button was, I be believe me, I wouldn't push it, <laughs> you know? Well put, yes. <laughs> like, if I knew, but if I knew where your love button was, I would push that a lot, right? That one, I, appreciation button, I would push that one too, right? Like, uh, if so, so it's interesting because we assume sometimes that the other person is kind of like trying to make us mad, right? And and the reality is a lot of our work comes back down to it's 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 my inside, right? Yeah. This is inside me that's happening. The whole story, though, you know, yes, there's another person there, but there's a good amount of it that's inside. And I've shared other stories of how, you know, I would be like washing the dishes and now all of a sudden I'm telling a story and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I probably shared it with you and I'm thinking to myself, she just put all these dishes here just to make me mad. And I can't believe she's taking advantage of me and she knows that I'm going to clean it. So she must just leave everything, you know, and I'm ramping myself up. And until you notice that like, nobody's doing anything <laughs> like nobody's, nobody's out to get anyone, you know, like there's no, she's not pressing the purposeful, like angry button on Ariel and, and noticing that tightness, that knot inside of me that keeps building and growing and I'm fanning it with how I'm talking to myself and na, 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 na. and of course I'm going to be mad. Right. And, and so to be able to, uh, to detangle that and to recognize it is such an incredible self-management tool, right? It's a self-compassion, right? Um, Definitely. And, and it took a lot of time, right? It didn't happen. I mean, so I think people want 
this practice to happen like instant, right? And and it's and you, I give you credit. You didn't ever. Uh, I don't think you you ever expected an instant. I know better, <laughs> <laughs> which is good, right? But but I'm tell tell people about what you know that like the how much time, you know. First of all, maybe you can share. You practice pretty much every day, right? I mean, diligently, what five or six days a week, if not? Yeah, more. usually six days a week, and on Shabbat, I I take a day off. There you I, go. So so she's practicing. You're practicing <laughs> yeah. about what you know started. Maybe you're starting at 15 minutes or something or 10 minutes or something and then yeah so so my current practice is i start with some self-soothing listening to a song that i sing with that's probably about three minutes then i chant um picking another song which is usually like about five minutes or so uh and then i go into the practice that we've cultivated and usually that's like another 10 minutes so all in all about 20 20 to 25, somewhere in that range. Yeah, depending on the day. And I remember that we basically incrementally added pieces to the of the practice as you were ready for them. And we gave, I always gave you the option. I don't want everyone to get scared. He's going to make me meditate so long. This is your took. You took those pieces on. I always gave you the option of you can swap it out mm-hmm. or you can add. And your choice was always add right? Uh, Pretty much, more or less, it was add into the practice. So I want to just give that, put that out there, right? Let me put that out there as a, as a, you know, proof of its own, that it's not that I'm like, I don't want to tell, make the the claim that I'm like this magical person. I'm, I'm, I'm great, right? But, but you did the work, right? And you were, and tell me about how, how the process of, of kind of like unfolding went in terms of speed yeah so when i was i'm doing more guided meditations those probably lasted five to ten minutes somewhere in that range so uh it it definitely was you know another step to start going like from 10 to 15 minutes and I would say that because I was finding value in what we were doing in the practice and and because I felt so much connection, especially to chanting, that it was time well spent. Um, and, you know, and I could feel, let's put it this way, the days that I wouldn't engage in the practice, I would feel the difference. It really does set the trajectory of my day. So if I don't practice at some point, probably later in the day, I'm going to need to take a few minutes to calm myself because I'm not functioning the same way. Um, And if I could too, just going back to one thing you said about those awarenesses and being able to self-manage and our stories. If any of you have ever watched The Matrix, It reminds me of the matrix because, you know, it's sort of like we're plugged into this machine and we don't realize it. And we just have these internalized thoughts and stories that are all going on in our head. And then once you're yanked from the machine, now all of a sudden you're like, whoa, like, oh my gosh, what are are these stories? And, And it's very empowering to realize, oh, I can 
change the story. <laughs> like, it doesn't have to stay right. this way. Yeah, you bend. You can start to bend reality almost. But uh, but and also you can notice what the story is and see how that is, you know, keeping you enslaved to it. Exactly. Exactly. Right? It's a freedom practice, I think. Well that, put. Right. It's a. Uh, yeah, I think that that was that was the way that I would describe it best. Especially, you know, we're we're right around the corner now from Passover. I don't know when this will air exactly, but but every day of Jewish practice is meant to be somewhat a freedom practice. We talk about Passover every single day in the so Jewish fair. year. Yeah, <laughs> literally every day. It's like, and then God pulled us out with a strong arm, you know, or whatever. Right? It's there's no day when we don't say that. Which is true, right? And that's why I think the dailiness of your practice is what pays the dividends and your doing the work is what has kind of started to unfold the practice for you now. I'm curious, you know, how are you, how would you say that, you know, you entered like emotionally, spiritually to our practice and, and where are you at now? Uh, well, I'd say uh, emotionally, spiritually, in the beginning, um, I was probably not as connected as I feel now. Uh, and, I, and spiritually, I, I don't uh, limit spirituality to my being Jewish. I, I really think of anything that helps me feel grounded and centered. And so I think when we first met, I was definitely sort of in this quandary of, okay, where is it? How am I going to get more centered? How am I going to experience greater joy? Um, so I was very much in a seeking mode. Also, where is my creativity and how can I integrate my singing and um, my creative self-expression? So I was very much in that seeking space. Um, and I'd say that through our work, as well as other practices, yeah, you were doing a lot of things, not just this, but yeah. So, you know, all of it together just was so synchronistic and really brought me to feeling more empowered, really to, to be able to have tools to help center me. Um, and, and like we said, this is a journey. It's not like I have arrived and it's done, you know, and, and no. it, which is frustrating for me as a perfectionist. I'd love to check it off my list, but I can't. We've talked so. about this, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to go there. Yeah, but it's a journey. So um, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, yeah. And and so, yeah. So but on a 10 scale, you, I think, I don't know, my from my perspective, I don't know, where were you at then? in terms of like the continuum of things, I'd say that now you're probably closer to an eight if, from my perspective, but I don't know where you were yeah. then. <laughs> it's funny, seven and eight was coming in my head as you were talking. Yeah, um, yeah so I, I think we're in tune with each other. I would say probably I was like at a three or a four. Yeah, I think that, that, that was the number I would have come up with too. I think you went from three or four to like eight, which look, part of that is time. Right. But also keep in mind, this has been a pandemic year. It's not exactly the year in which you might, one might expect that somebody who is going, who is kind of on the lower end of the scale would out, would ultimately climb. Right. You'd think that they would go further down and instead you kind of have, have, have found the resilience, which is one of the things that you teach. Right. So do you want to talk a little bit about how those two pieces come together? 
Sure. Um, so I created what I call a self-resilience indicator that looks at eight facets of resilience. And we'll um, put a link to that into the notes so you can go. Yeah, that. that'd be great. I'd love Absolutely. to talk to anyone that'd like to connect on that. This idea, though, of resilience has been so crucial. Um, it, I mean, at any time, but especially this last year. Uh, and, and going back to this idea of control, uh, one of the facets of resilience is having that self-awareness in any change situation. What can we not control? What can we influence? And what can we control? And the idea is letting go as much as possible of those things we cannot control because it's a waste of energy and really focusing on influence, which oftentimes we think, oh, no, I have no control. But if you start to think about it, oh, if I spoke up or, oh, if I shared that idea, I might be able to influence it. And then finally, control when it comes down to it, as much as we'd love to control other people and situations, we can only control ourselves. So uh, uh, what? I know, damn. <laughs> I wish you were different. I really This is don't. bad news, Rachel. <laughs> and more bad news during this pandemic. Ugh. Oh, it just became so evident to me that my knee-jerk reaction was trying to control as much as I could. And right. even my environment or my you know, my kids, like anything. And and just having that realization, like, oh. You're trying, you're trying to control here. It, it's not going to happen. How can I let go? How can I surrender? Where can I influence? And where do I just need to let it go? Or <laughs> mm. really very, very important for me during at all times, but especially during yeah. the pandemic. Thank you. Thanks. So, I mean, that's, that's amazing. So tell me what's the, like, what's the perfectionism bit? How does that come around you know uh you know all this time later and how does that fit in for you now sure um so perfectionism is a shield or a mask and if i come across as being perfect then the theory is that you won't know about whatever judgment or shame um, that I might be holding against myself. And through many years of learning and growing and working with clients, I've really come to realize that that shield or mask of perfection, first off, it creates disconnection within ourselves. Uh, because there's no room for gray. Everything's black and white and high expectations that can't be met. Um, so we disconnect from ourselves. And secondly, we disconnect from others because if I'm putting up this illusion of perfection, nobody can relate to it because it's not authentic. And when I'm willing to be vulnerable and to share what I like to call the good, the bad, and the not so pretty, it gives people permission to do the same. And one thing I really wanted to share about our practice together was that I made a very intentional 
effort to be vulnerable with you yeah, and you to did. share very personal things with you because I knew that if I'm going to get the most out of this, I can't show up as Rachel the professional. I need to be Rachel the person that's seeking support and wanting to grow. And that means I need to be authentic and I need to be real. So for anyone considering this practice, I would really encourage you to open up in that way to really get the most of it and that Ariel is going to support you in that journey in a very open and loving way. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's uh, it's an honor that we do that together, that you were able to tap into that. And, uh, and you know, I mean, I, everybody knows this, but maybe I need to say it out loud, but there's confidentiality there. And there's no, I mean, nobody... I didn't write it down and, you know, there's no, like, uh, there's no way for, you know, that's between us. And if you wanted to share it, it's up to you, but that's not my place to share. And I've, I've, I find that, yeah, you're absolutely right. Because when you started to share in those ways, that was when we were able to make some of the repairs and in, in, you know, help you to, to, have the tools to start to make some of the repairs to start to look at to start to relate to to start to bring compassion to some of the parts of yourself that had been left behind or untended to or the hurts of the past that you'd been continuing to hold on to and that in some way continue to come up in life but at least now you're not ducking them and so in that way they're not they're they're if they're coming up you know how to work with them right you're not it's not overwhelming to you you know if you need to go back into the therapist office to you know unpack it a little bit more you'll go there and if you know you need a little bit supporter on the meditative practice then you'll come talk to me and we'll we'll work through it but it's something that has become it's interesting I've, i tell people that if you're in therapy or have been in therapy it will tremendously uh, accelerate your work. Like it, it would be, it will be of great benefit to you. All of the investment you've put into yourself in those sessions will then, if we, if you bring it to our to our work together, then it can become a springboard for, so like a catalyst to take all of that work and create a, an avenue for you to integrate it and let it move let it move through yeah. and be agreed have... and with the therapy is the very much a past focus usually so that combined with mindfulness and being present and how to take it as you said off the couch um, is a very powerful combination and Ariel, just to go back to your question about perfectionism and how it shows up now yeah. um, to what you were just sharing so um, with the continued practice and, and all the other with self yeah, there's a lot of stuff. Yeah. A lot of professional development. Yeah. Um, you're an ongoing you're an ongoing learner. I think that's what yeah. connected us. We we're both kind of like dedicated to learning in a serious way for life. Agreed. And Agreed. nobody neither of us have this illusion that there's a silver bullet thing, but we also know we're not born with all of the tools. And we need to find other people who have tools to come to help us complete our set. Absolutely. And with the tools that we've cultivated, 
So when that trigger of perfectionism might come up for me now, I can very quickly catch it. And it's almost like a cloud, a dark cloud going through the sky and I could just label it. I'm like, oh, there's that need to be perfect. Or, oh, I feel like if, even if I make a mistake in the past, I would have berated myself and tortured myself. It's like, oh, okay, I made a mistake. And there's that shame thing. Okay. So it's just so much easier to kind of be in observer mode and be able to recognize, oh, that's just what I do. Like, it's going to pass. <laughs> right. It's like you got the cheat code and you're like, you're like, oh, that one. I know that one. I know what that feels like. I know what it sounds like. I actually know that this circumstance is perfectly situated for me to do that to myself. And now I'm on alert and I see it coming and I'm like, okay, you're going to keep going. Let you yes. keep going. I'm not going to hold on. Yes. And, and on the flip side, I've actually had some instances where you know, I'm like getting ready, you're doing something. And suddenly I had like this very loving and kind thought come up towards myself. And I was like, <laughs> who is this person? Like, it's just like, so that's juxtaposition of the perfectionism is actually starting to acknowledge and to love and respect certain aspects of myself and, and to be good with that. Like I'm on a journey towards loving myself. I told my husband that once I'm like, I hope you're okay with this because that's my journey. Like, so <laughs> you could judge me, you could say whatever, but this is where I'm going. And just to own that and feel good about it is really huge. Yeah. I, for me, when you said, when you reported, I remember you reported your like moment of shocking moment of self-affirmation. <laughs> I remember I was like, we did it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, we took a person who is a perfectionist who's been struggling with perfectionism and and really has a very strong um, mechanism for be beating herself up and being really critical of herself and, and assuming that if she does that, it'll propel her greatness or creativity or whatever it is to being able to do, be creative, to find the outlets, to do the practices that you need to nourish you to you know and we've talked about some of those pieces and we don't need to share them here but i know that you have adapted your practice to fit your particular needs based on your particular background based on what feels good to you and is helping you and nourishing you and you're using like you came in basically like i want a structure and a form and a thing you know give me the thing you know and then and now we're talking and you're ta and you're saying you're, you're like, well, and then I tried this and I don't know, it was okay. But then I tried the next day and I was like, I was like, oh, this is really good. You know, and it's, it's a process of an, an unfolding that I'm so excited about for you because you're almost, it's almost like you, you, you have become your own, um, best friend inter you. internally, right? You, and it's not by, and for me, by the way, I, I, that was why I held out to you we can do this together. I knew that, that you can arrive there because that's where I've come in my own practice, that I've become, been able to create a voice internally that's, it's affirming. And I knew that that was where this practice would lead when we talk about those cultivations of, of love and of compassion and how we kind of went through the, it was a, it was a pretty serious and in-depth process, I'd say. Right. You know, spending a session at a time going through different um, time periods of your life and unpacking and relooking. 
and re what's the word and remembering which means uh, when you translate it when you break up the etymology remember equals reconnect mm. to remember to reconnect and to respect to re to look again right to respect those memories and those things that happened to you right they did happen right you didn't it's not you're not imagining those that you know you've gone through some difficulty i've gone through i've shared with you some of my my pieces of that and um and the remembering of it is an honoring of it uh, and and the respecting of it is to go look back at it and see it again from the eyes of somebody who understands now how awful that was right to be able to have the compassion for yourself then creates the ability to do it for others and and uh, and creates this ability to not to over time begin to be the compassionate voice for yourself for my, for today's Rachel who is not going to get it perfect uh, you know uh, and today's Ariel who's also not getting it all right um so it's a beautiful fruition to me i think it it's not it's i see that as the the direct result of the your work of cultivating that inner response to yourself mm. of compassion thank you and that remembering process too really helped to cultivate compassion for the other players in the story as well like to be able to see some of those incidents with distance and be able to recognize you know we're divine beings having human experiences and that we're doing the best we can in any given point in time and we don't always have like you said the tools or the awareness to show up as our best selves. So it's not that it was necessarily bad intent towards me. It's just sort of, there was the byproduct of their lack of knowledge or their lack of awareness and their, their upbringing and what they went through. So it definitely, that compassion goes both ways for sure. Yeah. So inwardly, outwardly, and that's towards the people in the past or towards the people in the current time mm -hmm. as well. For anyone listening who's maybe considering stepping into this pool, uh, I, I the water is warm and fine. Come on in. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> and you'll be loved and supported and respected yes. as a person who, you know, it's interesting. You are clearly, you know, you're you're a professional who's been doing this a long time, and you have a lot of great, immense, you have an immense skill set, and so I'm excited. Because, you know, Rachel you. is part of the community um, of the Rav Ariel community, and she's in there and, and willing to help others who are along their journey, who are not quite there yet, and to kind of root you on, right? And I appreciate that you are also bringing yourself to the community in that way, not only as a learner, but also as a contributor. Um, and, I, you know, let's see how it all turns out but i'm i'm hopeful that you know we started you know off air we kind of talk we've been talking about the possibility of you coming in and and really um contributing in a new way and formalizing your training in this in this arena and i know that so many people already you know in your coaching that you do you work you work as a coach uh for different organizations for yourself i know that too but i know that at uc you're at ucla supporting the the business school so that's no slouch of a school um 
and and uh, and I'm and I, I know that you've recently shared with me that you've started to bring in some of the tools that we've worked on together that you internalized and started to bring that into that space. And I'm curious, you know, for me, that's so uh, that's exactly how it's supposed to go. It's like that's my vision of how I'm successful is that I teach it and then the people I teach it to start to teach it out and then there's a ripple, right? And so I'm curious how that has been for you and, and the value of that. Yeah, it is, first of all, just so uh, refreshing, I'd say that I think, especially in light of, to, of the pandemic in today's times, that uh, leaders and people are much more receptive to the idea of mindfulness, to the idea of how to create more balance or what I like to call integration in their lives. Um, so that in and of itself has is, is been fabulous because in the past, being in the corporate world for over 20 years, that certainly was not the case. So just to see that opening and an openness uh, has been terrific. And I must say, especially with a lot of the coaching I'm doing right now, that there is some element of mindfulness with many of my coaches, as we like to call them. In different ways, uh, right? Not necessarily formal meditation practice. Yes, whether it be um, journaling, whether it be going out in nature, whether it be meditating, yoga, um, all so different types of ways. Yeah. And actually, as I had shared with you um, before our, our call today, um, that yesterday I had an impromptu uh, session where with a coach, with a, with a client who I led a meditation with. Um, and it was very unexpected and it was definitely rooted in our practice. Uh, and it was, and it was very powerful for her, uh, which of course was my hope and wish. Yeah, and yeah. it just felt very, um, sort of like that next stage for me as I'm able to start sharing the tools that, uh, I keep cultivating through our work and other avenues and being able to support people in this way is just such deep, wonderful work. It's so nourishing, right? To see somebody start like the light, you can kind of see the light click on mm -hmm. and you're like, okay, they got it. Right? Or you see, <laughs> or you can see in their, in their, in their face that they're kind of like tight or body language or whatever. And then you do a practice and, and you can just see it melt away and you know, the tenor, the speed of the conversation changes and yeah, the whole energy shifts. Yeah, and when they can learn to do that for from within, you know, that's huge. That's huge. Mm -hmm. That's huge. So yeah, oh my gosh, amazing. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. so much. To stay updated on new episodes, subscribe on iTunes or follow on Facebook.com/slash Rabbi Shulk. That's Rabbi Shulk. R A B B I S H O L K. Hey, so if you're really serious about this, come on down to ravariel.com. That's www.ravariel.com. Take our free trial, do the self-learn path, or try group coaching, or even come apply to work with me one-on-one. -on -one. And you'll give yourself the accountability and the support and the step-by-step -step path that you need to feel calmer, more mindful, and happier with your life. 
come on down www.raviel.com. See you there.